0: You're watching ABC News Live. Hello and welcome from New York. Uh, I'm David Wright, and you're watching The Debrief, where we're going to begin today with some late-breaking developments in the Mueller investigation. You see there Michael Cohen, the president's former lawyer and fixer, walking out of the federal courthouse here in Manhattan today, where he entered a guilty plea for an additional plea bargain, essentially, this one for lying to Congress. Uh, This is part of a series of developments in the Russia investigation as this week progresses and happily standing on by for us in Washington. We have the expert uh, hands of Pierre Thomas and Terry Moran. Uh, Pierre and Terry, hello and welcome. Good to be with you. Uh, Pierre, let's start with you. What exactly did he plead guilty to and how serious is it? David Cohen left the courthouse
1: roughly an hour ago after pleading guilty to making false statements to Congress during closed hearings before intelligence committees investigating allegations of Russian collusion. In pleading guilty, Cohen told the court he misled Congress about how long his talks about a possible Trump Tower of Moscow continued. He said they went on for much longer than what he told Congress. Cohen admitted in court that he made the misleading statements in order to be loyal to an individual presumed to be then-candidate Donald Trump. According to the guilty plea, this was all done in hopes of, quote, limiting the ongoing Russia investigations. And sources familiar with the investigations uh, tell us that Cohen spent roughly more than 70 hours with the Mueller team with questions focusing on contacts with Russia during the campaign, Trump's business ties to Russia, obstruction of justice, and also talk of possible pardons.
0: Uh, This is a uh, a charge that he bled guilty to today that carries a possible five-year prison sentence, a possible fine of $200,000. As you say, it has to do, these uh, misstatements to Congress, with uh, the possible development in Russia, the proposed development in Russia of a Trump project. The president on on the South Lawn of the White House as he was getting ready to leave for the G20 uh, talked about that development project. Let's give a quick listen to what he had to say.
2: So, Michael Cohn has made many statements to the House, as I understand it, and the Senate. He put out a statement talking about a project which was essentially, I guess, more or less of an option that we were looking at in Moscow. Everybody knew about it. It was written about in newspapers. It was a well-known project. It was during Uh, The early part of 16 and I guess even before that it lasted a short period of time I didn't do the project. I decided not to do the project. So I didn't do it So we're not talking about doing a project. We're talking about not doing a project Michael Cohn what he's doing is he was convicted. I guess Uh, you'll have to put it into legal terms but he was convicted with a fairly long-term sentence on things totally unrelated to the Trump Organization, having to do with mortgages and having to do with uh, cheating the IRS, perhaps, a lot of different things. I don't know exactly. But uh, he was convicted of various things unrelated to us. He was given a fairly long uh, jail sentence. And he's a weak person. And by being weak, unlike other people that you watch, uh, he's a weak person. And what he's trying to do is get a reduced sentence. So he's lying about a project that everybody knew about. I mean, we were very open with it. We were thinking about building a building. I guess we had in a form, it was an option. I don't know what you'd call it. Uh, We decided, I decided ultimately not to do it. There would have been nothing wrong if I did do it. If I did do it, there would have been nothing wrong. That was my business. So he's lying very simply to get a reduced sentence, okay?
0: EXPLANATION FROM THE PRESIDENT, THE salient POINT SEEMED TO BE THAT THERE'S NO LOVE LOST AT THIS POINT BETWEEN THE PRESIDENT AND HIS FORMER LAWYER. AND ALSO THE PRESIDENT CONTINUES TO DENY THAT THERE WAS ANY COLLUSION, EVEN IF HE MAY HAVE AT ONE TIME HAD THIS BUSINESS DEVELOPMENT PROJECT IN PARTNERSHIP WITH RUSSIAN OLIGARCHS WITH TIES TO VLADIMIR PUTIN. Uh, TERRY MORAN, HOW TRICKY DOES THIS GET FOR HIM?
3: WELL, IT DEPENDS ON WHAT MICHAEL COHEN IS TELLING PROSECUTORS. Uh, WHAT PRESIDENT TRUMP JUST SAID IS TRUE, HE'S A BUSINESSMAN. He had some uh, prospective deals in Russia. I was in Moscow just as he was being inaugurated, talked to some of his business partners. They were open. They were really hoping that even after he became president, they'd be able to build a Trump Tower in Moscow. They couldn't get the licensing or the financing, and that is something that Michael Cohen has now admitted he lied about. He lied about his role. He was trying to carry out what he said to the messaging of individual one that that is assumed to be uh, President Trump. Now why did he lie? Is there something else in this business deal, which went south, that prosecutors are interested in on the key question Americans are really focused on, which is did anyone in the Trump organization, did President Trump himself as a candidate, help Russia attack the American democracy? The business deals, the Michael Cohen relationship with Donald Trump, all that is uh, surrounding that central question. And I don't know that we got any closer to answering it today. One thing
0: that seemed clear in reading the tea leaves of the president had to say is that uh, there's a distinction to be made between how he feels at this point about Michael Cohen and how he feels about Paul Manafort, the other person in the crosshairs of the Mueller investigation this week. Uh, He talked about Michael Cohen as a weak person who's just trying to bargain down a, a lighter sentence. He talked about Paul Manafort essentially as a martyr, saying nobody
3: has been treated more harshly by him. What can we read from that? Well, you know, President Trump values loyalty like a lot of politicians and President Trump in particular values loyalty. Here's Michael Cohen trying to save his own skin, he says, and he's weak. He's weak. It sounds like a line out of a Hollywood movie, right? It, it, sounds, it sounds like a, the, the boss man is saying he's weak uh, and he's called Paul, Paul Manafort and others who are resisting uh, the prosecutors brave. So it, it's all about Donald Trump and people who are loyal to him. Uh, Michael Cohen is demonstrating that he has parted company with Donald Trump, and he was his lawyer for 12 years. He does know a lot about President Trump. Uh, Whether he knows that central question, you know, did President Trump participate in the Russian attack on the American democracy to help him get elected, Uh, prosecutors may know more about that question, but right now we don't.
0: We're coming off a relatively quiet period for the Mueller probe in advance of the uh, midterm elections. And I want to get Pierre's perspective on this. But, uh, Pierre, this week we've seen a flurry of activity. Uh, Not only was there this plea agreement entered by Michael Cohen this morning, but uh, earlier this week uh, we saw Paul Manafort's plea deal essentially thrown out uh, by the Mueller probe. Is this a sign that he's ratcheting up the pressure, or uh, that his case is falling apart? How best can we uh, read the tea leaves on that? Well, David, the,
1: the Mueller probe has been intensifying in recent months, and I think it's fair to say it continues to intensify. And before I get to your question about uh, Manafort, I, there, there's two kind of dominant points that I think that we're seeing from how the Mueller investigation is unfolding. Number one. Uh, with this guilty plea, uh, and what Cohen has said he did, it's clear that investigators are trying to determine uh, how much interest did uh, President Trump, then candidate Trump, have in Russia? Was he somehow compromised by the fact that he had economic interests that he was pursuing? Would that make him, quote, more soft on Russia? The other dominant thing here is that guilty plea now in hand it's clear that Michael Cohen is cooperating. And as Terry said, we don't yet know what information he's giving um, to uh, special counsel. I I can tell you this. Whatever he's saying is being uh, investigated and uh, potentially cooperated. But the key here is can they run down any information that he's giving them?
0: Uh, Terry Moran, uh, quick final thoughts here. What is your best sense as to where this is headed
3: at this point? Well, it's a target-rich environment for prosecutors, and always has been. What's weird are so many people around Trump having deals or involvement with Russia more than any other presidential candidate one can remember, President Trump himself, and so many of them lying about it and caught lying about it. What are they covering up? I think that's really what the prosecutors are boring in on. Right now, President Trump is right. He had the right to conduct business. He was open about it. Uh, people in Moscow that I talked to were open about the possibility of a Trump Tower. Is there something behind that in, in what uh, Michael Cohen spent 70 hours talking to prosecutors about? Maybe, but right now we have to wait for, to see what uh, Robert Mueller has.
0: Terry Moran, Pierre Thomas, I am so glad we have you both to make sense of this all. And we'll be watching to see uh, how you make sense of it on World News and other broadcasts later today. Thanks so much for joining us today.
3: Thanks, David. All right.
0: Turning now to the California uh, and the heavy rains which bring with them the threat of mudslides in the wake of those wildfires which have cleared out so much of the brush uh, in parts of Southern California and Northern California. Uh, We're going to turn to reporter Romina Puga uh, standing by, is it near Malibu you are?
4: Hi David, we're in Agora Hills where the Woolsey fire swept through just earlier this month and devastated and damaged so many homes like the one behind me which you can see their burnt down car is still in the driveway and over here you can see a burnt trampoline in what was this family's yard and it started raining here last night and it's been raining it'll rain all day until the early evening and that can be catastrophic for areas like these because of the threat of mudslides and flash floods. The dirt is covered in ash, which prevents the rain from fully absorbing into the soil, and that can cause a mudslide to roll and rush down hills like these. Pepperdine University just closed for the day. We've seen car accidents across California, and like I said, it's just, it's going to get heavier throughout the day until later tonight when it lets up, but the threat isn't necessarily homes that have burnt already like this one, but like these that survived the fires and are now facing a second threat of mudslides and flash floods that could potentially destroy their homes. Like we saw in Montecito earlier this year, it can be catastrophic, dangerous. And we saw on our way here a couple rock slides already. And families, people are putting out sandbags, trying to protect their homes, doing what they can. Luckily, it'll hopefully clear up by later today.
0: I mean, I've covered some of these things before myself, and it is uh, hard to describe in advance, but once you see it, you'll never forget it. It's almost like a tsunami of mud sweeping away entire neighborhoods. And it is a real threat, especially in some of those heavily populated areas that were hit so hard by the fires. Uh, Are people uh, taking this in stride? What is is the, uh, the, the mood on the ground there? I imagine they just must be exhausted.
4: I think they are exhausted. The fires were just a couple weeks ago, but they are prepping their homes. Like I said, they're putting sandbags out, just hoping that if there are flash floods and mudslides, that they will be guided away from their homes and homes like these that survived that first threat of a fire will hopefully survive this second threat.
0: All right, Romina Puga, thanks very much for uh, keeping us up to date on that. We'll turn now to uh, uh, Melissa Griffin, uh, who's been keeping an eye on that California storm. How bad's it going to be?
5: hi david so we take a place like where the woolsey fire is just east of there already almost a half an inch of rain fell in just 24 minutes those kind of rainfall rates that's why we see these mudslides these rock slides especially in areas where there are burn scars so let's take a look at the radar right now you can still see the rain is still falling here from san francisco all the way down to southern california and that's going to continue through the day especially in the los angeles area we still have these wind alerts up already over 60 mile per hour gusts have been reported in the bay area trees reported down flash flood warnings still in effect and those winter storm warnings continue because some spots in the sierra nevada mountain range could see up to one to three feet of snow let's take it to four o'clock this is pacific time you still see heavy rain moving in from san maria down to los angeles and that continues right into this evening it dries up mostly in northern california but they're going to be dealing with the rain for much of the day into the evening before it finally clears out in southern california you see here one to three Feet of snow. Uh, One to three inches of rain possible for coastal California. Mainly the remainder of that will be in the southern part of the state. But then this storm system is actually going to progress east into the weekend. We're going to talk about severe storms, heavy snow for the plains. Uh, Take a look at where severe weather could happen tomorrow. This is from the same system that is bringing the mudslides into California. We could see damaging winds, tornadoes, and hail in parts of the mid Mississippi Valley, and that moves to the Florida panhandle in the southeast by Saturday. Winter storm watches already in effect for parts of the plains. major winter storm could hit the northern plains this weekend. And this is all from the same exact system that we've been talking about here in California. So it's going to stay in California, continue to impact the state today, and then it's all going to move east and bring some severe weather to other parts of the country by the weekend.
0: Wow, it's a lot to look forward to, Melissa Griffin. Thank you very much for keeping us posted. We're going to turn now to uh, uh, closer to New York City with uh, New Jersey, where a mansion fire uh, being investigated, uh, in addition to several uh, murders uh, that took place there, uh, it has some significant developments. ABC's Will Carr uh, is here to bring us up to date on that. Will? I'm sorry, Will Reeve. I apologize, Will. Either,
6: there are no a lot worries, of Davids, David. either too, either way, if I that's any here. consolation. <laughs> Well, whoever we are, we are out here uh, outside the Monmouth County Prosecutor's Office, where right now inside County Prosecutor Chris Cremiccioni is giving an update on the case of the two fires that happened on the same day, and that update is a big one. Paul Canero, who was already charged with one count of aggravated arson for lighting fire to his own home in Ocean Township with his wife and children inside, has now been charged with four murders of his brother, his brother's wife, and their two children. He's also been charged with one count of firearm possession, another count of knife possession, and an additional aggravated arson charge. He will be in court for that tomorrow morning here in Monmouth County at 9 a.m. We'll have that covered for you. But as for right now, in terms of a motive and what's the latest on on what happened, you'll remember that, that the prosecutor Grimiccioni said, quote, that the victims were victims of homicidal violence, that the community was was safe, and that the family was targeted specifically. Everyone wondered, well, why? If you don't have a suspect in the murder, how possibly can we know that the community is safe, and how do you know that the Canaro family, that Keith Canaro's family, was targeted? Well, now we have what prosecutors think is our answer, because Paul Canaro is the only suspect. Uh, cr- uh, Prosecutor Grimiccioni just said in the press conference moments ago that they believe the motive was financial in nature. If you'll remember, the Canaro brothers were business partners,
0: David. They were business partners. Keith, essentially, was the senior partner. He gave Paul a job in his company. Uh, you know, this thing sounds uh, like a Truman Capote story, the the idea of these two brothers working together. Uh, and Paul Canaro, initially suspected of setting fire to his own house, uh, and uh, fingered in that, but not uh, specifically not a suspect in the murder of his brother and his family the same night. Uh, it's just it beggars belief how grim that story uh, is turning out to be.
6: No, it, it certainly is grim. And we will learn more about the motive and the timeline of events, uh, presumably in court tomorrow and then as the inv- investigation unfolds. Prosecutor Grimiccioni did say that there will be a financial invest investigation as a component of the overall investigation regarding the murders. Uh, he said that would take time, of course, because they have to unravel what exactly could have driven Paul Canero to the extreme that he would murder his own brother and his brother's family and set fire to his own home with his own family inside. It is really a tale beyond belief here just about an hour away from New York City.
0: All right, ABC's Will Reeve, thank you very much. We'll turn now to uh, uh, North Carolina, where ABC's Steve Osinsami has been keeping track on what authorities believe they've discovered the body of Hania Aguilar. She's the 13-year-old girl uh, who was found in a body of water. Uh, Let's hear what Steve has to say
7: david this isn't the ending that police had hoped for police are telling us now that the body that they found about seven miles away from where this girl went missing they believe is hanya aguilar she was The girl who disappeared on November 5th, who was standing outside her home, waiting to get into her family's car to drive her to school. Uh, Police tell us that witnesses report that she was abducted by a man wearing all black who had a yellow bandana across his face. They've been searching for weeks, hoping that they would find her, but found her body in a body of water near that home. Uh, There are grief counselors at her school this morning hoping to help any children who, who, who might need their assistance dealing with this. She was in the eighth grade. Police have very little information about the person they're looking for. They don't even know, we're told at this point, who this person is. At one point, they were looking for a person of interest who was seen on a security camera walking near the home shortly before the girl disappeared. They tell us this morning there is no person of interest, that they have no information on a suspect, but they do tell us they plan to bring whoever was responsible to justice. David.
0: Thanks very much, ABC's Steve Osinsami there. Uh, turning now to Landover, Maryland, where the Washington Redskins are taking some heat uh, for bringing Reuben Foster off the waivers. Uh, Stephanie Ramos is here to bring us up to date on that story. Stephanie, is the NFL stepping in at this point?
8: David, they absolutely are. The NFL has put linebacker Ruben Foster on the exempt list so he can't practice or play here at FedEx Field until the legal process and the legal case is completely wrapped up. So that's the NFL's role in this. But the big question is, will linebacker Ruben Foster really ever get to play here at FedEx Field? Not only because of that exempt list, but uh, because of all of the procedures that he'll have to go through with the Redskins. The Redskins say uh, Ruben Foster will have to go through the Full legal process, another investigation. He'll, of course, face NFL discipline, but he'll have to meet with counselors as well. So it's going to take some time for a uh, foster to get out here on the field. But a lot of people are wondering how does someone, how does a player who got kicked off of a team for uh, being accused of domestic violence, not just once but twice, how does he get picked up on another team? And that's the issue that a lot of sports fan fans are, are having right now. But the Redskins say they're going to give him another chance. Here's what, what the coach has said.
5: I understand that it's going to be a long process for him, but he's a young player. Uh, he made a mistake or two, or you know, um, and, and at the end of the day, we decided to take the chance. Uh, so
8: as you heard, the, the coaches, they decided to take another chance, David.
0: Uh, absolutely. Stephanie, how are Washington Redskins fans reacting to this? Do they see this as a dumb move by their team uh, or— are they thinking that this might be a smart investment because ultimately he may be cleared
8: well david the reaction has been mixed there was definitely a quick quick reaction to all of this. Some fans say that, that this is tone deaf, that, that, that the team is just tone deaf as to what uh, Foster is being accused of. They say that it's just not right, especially during this time that we're in right now, that that he should have never been picked up. Then there are, are other fans that say, you know what, the Redskins are going through the process. They're going to keep an eye on him, and they're making sure that, this, uh, that, that the investigation continues, and they're also willing to give him another chance. But then there are other fans that say, how can Foster get picked up by another team while you have other players who who take a knee during the national anthem? Uh, have they're penalized. Colin Kaepernick, a lot of folks bringing up his name saying he can't find a job because of the stance that he took uh, against uh, the uh, the civil rights and things that are going on in this country right now. So uh, a lot of mixed reaction to this, but it was definitely quick. David.
0: Yeah, politics is one thing, but the criminal process is entirely different. Stephanie Ramos, thank you very much for uh, bringing us up to date on that. Uh, And finally, we'll turn To New Jersey again, where ABC's Gio Benitez is standing by at a very large Christmas light display that now may have to fork over some cash uh, to help keep it going, cash to the city, that is. Gio?
9: Hey there david quite the christmas light fight here in old bridge new jersey because now this town is taking on the homeowners of this house here because they say that these lights are just causing too much of a disturbance in this neighborhood that they're making this area unsafe take a look at this video right now because that town taking on the homeowners says the family needs to pay them now two thousand dollars per day for for security because their display is just too popular. And if not, they say it's lights out. Now, Tom Apruzzi and his family have been putting on the show in Old Bridge, New Jersey for 15 years. It features 500,000 brightly shining lights and a synchronized show. We spoke with Apruzzi, listen in. It's my
3: passion, I love doing Christmas lights. It's, it's something that I always love doing. It's something good for Ulbridge. It's something good for the town. And if, and if I could put a smile on people's faces
9: to make them enjoy Christmas, I'm going to do it. And their home was even featured in a 2014 episode of The Great Christmas Light Fight. Now people travel from several states to see it in person, but not everyone is happy about it. The town's mayor says that some residents are just fed up. Listen. There's a number of complaints uh, over the previous years, including this year. Most of the complaints come from of the people who live on Central Avenue. And the town says they've had to add extra police detail on the block because of complaints about traffic congestion. Town officials say the big crowds and parked cars have made this neighborhood unsafe. Now, we spoke with two town council members who say, you know what, we support this. We're all for this light show and donations, the homeowner says, donations from visitors here will go to a nonprofit called Homes for Our Troops. David.
0: Some very bright uh, and uh, shiny Christmas cheer there. Uh, ABC's Gio Benitez in Old Bridge, New Jersey. Thanks very much. Finally today, uh, we're going to go out with a a glimpse at a precious reunion. Have a look at this video here. A soldier deployed overseas in Africa for 11 months, returning. She thought her dog might not remember her, but check that out. She was wrong. Uh, The puppy is very... Very happy, indeed. Red, white, and blue collar and all. Uh, thanks very much for joining us here on uh, The Debrief. Uh, stay tuned for the, the, the briefing room at 3.30 here on ABC News Live and with us throughout the day for breaking news. I'm David Wright in New York. Thanks for joining us.